If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Exodus. And today we are in chapters 35 and 36. We're not going to read every verse, but we'll read some selected verses from these two chapters, starting in chapter 35, verse 4. Many years ago, when I was starting out in the ministry and I was a pastor of a small country church in North Carolina, every year we'd have a big barbecue for the whole church. And every year it was someone's responsibility to donate the pig. And uh, it reminds me of a story of a pastor in a little country church in a similar situation. He was trying to encourage a certain man in his church to donate the pig, but he was dropping hints, if you know what I mean. He said, listen, if you had two dollars, you'd be willing to give the Lord one dollar, right? He said, well, of course. He said, if you had two cows, you'd be willing to give the Lord one cow, wouldn't you? And he said, well, sure. And then he went in for the kill. He said, well, if you had two pigs, you'd be willing to give the Lord one pig, wouldn't you? At that point, the man got upset. He said, now, pastor, that's not fair. You know good and well, I have two pigs. The moral of the story is, it's easy to talk about giving when it's somebody else who's doing it. You know, a lot of people really don't want to hear a message on this subject, and we understand why, because there are many churches where you can go, there are many preachers who every Sunday, 52 weeks out of the year, this is their one and only topic every week, every message, another reason why you should give more, dishing out false promises saying, if you give blank, God will give you double tomorrow. It is a lie from the pit of hell. And by the way, I would not walk across the street to hear such preaching, and neither should you. It's the prosperity gospel. It is a false gospel. I understand why many people are hesitant, but let me say this. Your attitude towards giving says a lot about your level spiritually. It says a lot about your character. Isn't it interesting how many times when God is getting ready to test us, when God wants to grow us, he will not only allow us to experience a crisis, but many times he will allow us to experience a financial crisis where suddenly you have to decide whether or not you trust God and whether you will honor him with your wealth. In our passage this morning, God challenges the people of Israel to give an offering for the construction of the tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle that they were getting ready to build, it was like a, a giant tent where the people could come and offer sacrifices and worship the Lord. It was also mobile. That way, Whenever and wherever God led them with that cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, the tabernacle could go with them. Now, in some of the chapters before, God had already given to Moses the instructions. He already had the blueprints. Now it's time for the people to participate by the giving of this offering. As you will see, they did so very joyfully. I believe in part because God had recently forgiven them of that great sin of idolatry when they worshiped the golden calf. You see, this tabernacle 
was a sign that God had indeed forgiven them. This tabernacle meant that God would do what he said he would do, that his presence would go with them into the promised land. This tabernacle reminded them that their sin did not nullify or cancel the promise of God. And so, yes, they were very eager to be a part of this offering because their hearts have been touched by mercy and by grace. And when you find a heart that has been touched by grace, almost always, that will be a very generous heart. Now, there are several characteristics of such a person that we're going to see in the passage this morning. And as we look at this story, there's a question I hope we will all ask ourselves Do I see myself in this passage? Do I not only give, give faithfully, but do I give with a willing heart? What does it look like when a willing heart that's been touched by grace gives? There are three things I want you to notice that we will do. First of all, we give cheerfully. Look at verse 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded. Take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onk stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Notice in verse 4, it says God commanded them to give, but then in the very next verse it says, whoever is of a willing heart. Now this point is emphasized throughout the story. For example, it says uh, in verse 21, everyone whose heart was stirred. And then it says everyone whose spirit was willing gave. Verse 22 says as many as had a willing heart. Verse 29, it's called a free will offering. Now, this is different from the tithe, which God instructed them to give. That was part of the law. The tithe literally meant 10%, a tenth of what God has given us that we give back to him. This is different. This offering is something they gave above that, beyond that. There was no set amount. It was given freely, not out of any sense of obligation. And I want you to notice how Moses went about this. I want you to notice there's no sales pitch. He doesn't suggest some donation that they ought to give, or some percentage that they ought to give. There wasn't any scheme. Moses didn't say, here's how we're going to raise the funds. He simply told the people, this is what God says. This is what we need. If you want to give, great, do it. That's it. (laughs) Can you imagine if we tried to have a capital campaign like that today? You'd get laughed out of the room. And yet that's exactly what the people did. They gave as the Lord put it on their hearts. Look at verse 20. 
and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. Notice what it says they brought in verse 21. They brought the Lord's offering. It literally says in the Hebrew, the offering of Yahweh. Now, it was called that for two reasons. It was called the offering of Yahweh because they knew when they were giving, they were not giving to Moses. They were not giving to a building. They were not giving to a budget. They understood they were giving to the Lord. Likewise, we would do well to remember that when we give, whatever it is we give, when you give through the church, you are not giving to the church. When you give your tithes and offerings, you are giving to the Lord. God didn't call for this offering, by the way, because he needed the money. The same God who just made the manna appear and the water to pour from the rock. He was more than capable of providing all the money and all the supplies for this tabernacle. In fact, God could have caused to drop down in their midst a building that was bigger and greater than any building that man had ever constructed. But that's not what God wanted. What he wanted was for his people to give cheerfully and willingly as an expression of their love for him. Now, there's another reason why it was called the offering of Yahweh. It was called that because they were giving to the Lord what they understood already belonged to the Lord and what they had received from the Lord. The gold that they gave, where did that come from? The silver that they gave, how did they get that? Just months earlier, they were slaves. They were penniless. How did they suddenly have so much to give? You remember what happened in Exodus 12 after the Passover? At that point, the Egyptians were so eager to get rid of the Israelites, they gave them whatever they asked for, including all the silver and the gold of Egypt. God did it. He just provided that bronze that they gave. Where did that bronze come from? You remember after they left Egypt and the Amalekites attacked them, and there's that story of of Aaron and her helping Moses to hold his arms up in the air with the staff of God, and the Bible says that as he did so, God intervened on their behalf, and they won the battle. God delivered them. This bronze that they gave was almost certainly the spoils of war from that battle. And once again, God just did it. God provided for them. And the people in Exodus 35 are simply giving back to God a portion of what he had recently given them. Now, folks, you need to understand that's how God did it then. That's how God does it now. That hasn't changed. That's still how God funds his work by providing for his people who then joyfully, willingly give back to the Lord what is his. Every now and then, somebody will come to me. I'll have this conversation several times per year. 
Somebody will come and they got a light in their eye and they've, they've had this great idea. And, oh, they can't wait to share it with me. Pastor, I have this idea about this fundraiser for our church. Let's do this. Let's do that and raise funds for the church. And, of course, I have to burst their bubble a little bit and explain to them, no, we don't do that here because, according to Scripture, that is not how God provides for his work. I'll give you another example. A year and a half ago, the pandemic started, and the government began to dish out loans, which converted into grants. People call it free money, but it's really not. But they were giving this money to businesses that were impacted by the pandemic, who were forced to shut down. Do you realize the government was giving that money to churches as well? And a lot of churches took it. I want you to know that we did not. I want you to understand why we did not and we would not take that money because it is not the government's job to provide for God's work. It's God's job to provide for God's work. And this is how he does it, by providing generously to his people who then give back generously to the Lord what is already his We give freely the tithes and offerings according to Malachi chapter 3. And there's this statement, this wonderful statement that was made years ago by that uh, missionary Hudson Taylor. And it's still true today. He said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. If you're just faithful with what the Lord has given you, you don't have to worry whether God will do his part And it's not about the amount that you're able to give. I want you to notice in verses 22 through 28, there's this list of items that the people gave, and you will notice a great diversity of gifts. For example, the Bible says some people were able to give gold, some were able to give silver, but then there were others who gave goat's hair. Let's see, gold or goat's hair. Which one are you hoping for this Christmas? All of you hoping for gold, raise your hand. All of you hoping for goat's hair, you're lying and you're going to get coal. But you get the point. Some gave more, some gave less, but they all gave from the heart. In fact, the Bible says some gave acacia wood. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, those who had nothing else to give could go down to the riverbed and there was this hard, dry, thorny wood. Can you imagine the Israelites collecting all that wood? It's cutting up their hands and their arms and they're bleeding. But they would gather up all that acacia wood and bring it to the altar rather than come to God empty-handed. Why? Because they were giving from the heart. That's why. And so I ask you this question. Does cheerful giving characterize your life? Not just giving, but cheerful giving. Is it a blessing to be able to give? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. It touches his heart when we give in such a way. And when a heart has been touched by grace, this is what happens. We give cheerfully. But not only that, we serve freely. We serve freely. I want you to notice that the same passage that describes how the people gave also talks about 
how the people worked. You see, they didn't just give their treasure. They also gave their time, and they gave their talents. Look at verse 10. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. In verses 11 through 19, there's a big list of the things that they had to make for the temple. They had to make the tent. They had to build the Ark of the Covenant. They had to make the furnishings, the altar, the curtains. Who was going to make all of these things? Verse 10 says, all who are gifted. You understand what that's implying, right? Some were gifted and some were not. Some were gifted in this area to build the tabernacle. They needed construction workers and carpenters and seamstresses, and they needed metal workers. They needed cabinet makers and artisans. All of these things were important, but this was not a job for everybody. And it seems from the text that bless his heart, but the guy who didn't even know what end of a hammer to pick up, this was not the job for him. That guy could serve the Lord in other ways according to his gifts. You know, back in Exodus chapter 1, the Bible says that the Hebrews built entire slave, or cities for Pharaoh when they were slaves. They built whole cities. Do you realize what that means? That means many of them had spent years and years and years doing what? Learning and developing the skills which later on they would use for the Lord in building this tabernacle. You think that was an accident? I don't. I believe God was preparing them for the future. It seems to me like there are so many people that I see who will spend years of their lives honing their skills, getting an education, going to college, going to graduate school, going to some trade school, learning how to do any number of things, spending years of their lives learning how to teach, learning how to build, learning how to cook, learning how to heal, learning how to lead, learning how to budget, learning how to administrate. They spend years developing these skills, and then when they're done, they will use them anywhere and everywhere except for the Lord. Now, hear me carefully. If you've spent years of your life in training and developing some skill that God has given you, God's work is not the last place where you ought to use that skill. It ought to be the first place that you use it. I'm going to say something that sounds quite elementary, but it's true and we need to hear it. When it comes to God's work, teachers should teach. Leaders should lead. Helpers should help. Singers should sing. Administrators should administrate. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whatever gift God has given you, whatever your ability, whatever your talent, whatever your skill, use it for the Lord because that is a very big part of your giving. Look at verse 25. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands 
and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. There it is. It turns out that goat's hair came in handy after all. But it's really interesting how the text emphasizes the role of the women in the building of the tabernacle. Did you notice that? That's there for a reason because the part that the women played was just as important as the part that the men played in getting the job done. Once again, notice the text actually says those women who were gifted did this. In other words, a woman who did not know how to sew was not to be in charge of making the curtains in the tabernacle. She could use her gifts in other ways. This reminds me a little bit of my grandmother. Some of you know I lived with my grandma for about five years after my mom died. And when I married Joy, my grandma Ellen was 90 years old. And she immediately began to think about our future children and how she wanted to bless them. Now, at age 90, she was getting weaker and slower, and there were a lot of things that at that point my grandma could not do, but she still loved to crochet, and she still could sew. And so my grandma, who was very limited financially, my grandma, who was poor, every day of her life, she went back home after my wedding, and she started to crochet blankets and little booties. She died two years before my first child, Brenda, was born. But she took the gift that she had and she served in the way that she could so that one day, if that preacher boy grandson of hers ever got around to having kids, she would have a gift to leave them. I can't tell you how much that means to me. And I can still imagine my grandma crocheting and praying for her great-grandchildren that had not yet been born. God bless the child that will be wrapped in this blanket. Whatever your gift is, whatever your talent is, take that and the Lord will show you a way that you can use it to serve him. Look at verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Here is a name that you probably don't hear very often, but this man is very important. Bezalel, he was the project manager for the building of the temple. But let me tell you, that is not what makes him special. What makes this man very special in the scriptures 
is that Bezalel is the first man in all of the Word of God of whom it was ever said that he was filled with the Spirit of God. That's never said of anyone before Exodus chapter 35. What an honor! And to think this distinction, this honor was not given to a prophet. It was not given to a preacher. It was given to a man who was a construction worker, a builder, and an artist. God called this man, filled him with his spirit, and then gave him great skill so that with that skill he could work and offer something beautiful unto the Lord for the glory of God. By the way, we also learn from Bezalel that you don't have to choose between being filled with the spirit and pursuing excellence. I get so tired of hearing people suggest ever so subtly that it's one or the other. No, it's both. You can pursue both being a spirit-filled man or woman and learning and honing your skills so that you can offer God your very, very best. I want you to notice that this statement that was made about the giving of the people in chapter 35, it's also made about those who worked in chapter 36. Look at chapter 36, skip, skipping ahead, and in verse 2, then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. Notice what it says. Everyone whose heart was stirred did the work. That's exactly what it said about those who gave. Just as those who gave, gave from the heart, those who worked, worked from the heart. Those who served, served from the heart. They gave their efforts to the Lord freely as an expression of gratitude for all that God had done. And this is what happens when a willing heart gives, a heart that has been touched by God's grace. We give cheerfully. We serve freely. But then there's one more thing I want you to notice. We sacrifice deeply. When our hearts have been touched by grace, it causes us to sacrifice deeply. Look at chapter 36, verse 3. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every Sunday or every morning. Then all the craftsmen, that was a Freudian slip, verse 4. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, People bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. Later on in chapter 38, the Bible says that they wound up giving one ton of gold, three tons of silver, and two tons of bronze. Can you imagine that? That is a lot of giving. That was awesome. That was wonderful. But that was also a problem. 
And so the workers complained that they had too much because the people were giving too much. They said, Moses, we need you to do something about this. And so I'm sure very begrudgingly, this is what he did in verse 6. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed, to much. I have to admit, been a pastor for 25 years, never had this problem. <laughs> I'd like to have this problem. That'd be a great problem to have, wouldn't we all? Moses did something that no Baptist preacher has ever done in the history of Baptist preachers. He went to the people and he said, please stop. Guys, you're being too generous. We can't take it anymore. And he restrained them from giving. Makes me wonder, number one, how good had God been to them? After all they had done, that they could then turn around and give and give and give. And then it also makes me wonder, how deeply had God touched their hearts that they had that desire, that they wanted to keep on giving and giving and giving and giving and then give some more. When a heart's been touched by grace, listen, there never comes a time where that person wants to stop giving, even when they don't have anything left to give. That desire to give is always there. There's never that point where it feels like they've done enough. But the Israelites did all of this, and they gave this great offering for the building of the tabernacle. Now, I did not preach through all of the chapters in which God gave detailed instructions for the construction of the tabernacle, but if you go back, as you should at some point, and read through those chapters, if you look closely at the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, you will see that the entire point of the tabernacle was to teach the people one simple truth. And here it is, that a sinful people can approach a holy God by means of an atoning sacrifice. That's the point. That's the lesson of the tabernacle, that a sinful people can indeed approach a holy God, but only by means of a sacrifice to atone for our sin. And that's why, yes, it points to the gospel. It points to Jesus. We are sinners. We have broken God's law. We've rebelled against our Creator, and therefore we are separated from God under a penalty of death, 
and therefore God sent Jesus and he came from heaven to earth to live the life we should have lived, to then die the death we should have died. He became our sacrifice for all of the things that we have done. He did that so that we could then be forgiven and live in the presence of a holy God forever. In Exodus 35 and 36, the people gave so generously for a physical building. In the New Testament, the Bible says we are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. And so I ask you this, how much more motivated should we be to give and to work and to sacrifice until everybody knows about the love of God in Jesus Christ, until everybody knows about his offer of salvation to whosoever believes in him. There's a tombstone in London outside of a cathedral that memorials a man by the name of Charles Gordon, and this is what it says. To the memory of Charles George Gordon, who at all times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, and his heart to God. I hope and pray that that could be said of each and every one of us when we come to the end of life's journey and it all begins with giving him our hearts. Would you join me as we pray? Our God, we thank you that you're so good, you're so generous, that you bless us in so many ways. You give and you give and you keep on giving. And we realize, God, we could never pay you back. We could never even the score. And yet, our hearts have this desire Having experienced your grace, we want to, we long to offer back to you what already belongs to you. And it all belongs to you. So, Father, I pray that this same attitude that we have seen in this passage amongst the Israelites, that it would be present in our midst, that we would also give cheerfully, joyfully, willingly, not just of our treasure, but also our time, our energy, our efforts, our talents, our abilities, as we give by working and serving you, taking all of the gifts and the skills you've given to us and putting them to work for your kingdom purposes. And Father, I pray that you would help us wherever we are to go even deeper, that we would want to sacrifice more. We'll probably never get to that point in this earthly life in which the task is done and we no longer need to give. We'll probably never experience what they experienced in Exodus 36. But I pray that that same desire would be in our hearts. And we thank you, O oh God, that just as they gave and built a, a tabernacle to remind them of that sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice that would come one day, Lord, every animal that was sacrificed in that tabernacle was a picture of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ who would one day die on the cross for our sin.
And so, God, we, we thank you for that. And we thank you for giving us such a precious gift. Your word tells us the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for giving. And I pray for those who are here who have never received that gift, that this would be their day of salvation. This would be that day, that time, that moment in which they would say, yes, Lord, I receive this gift. I place my faith in Christ and I will follow him. Father, show us all now how we should apply what we've read and what we've learned to our lives, how we should respond, and we'll give you all of the thanks and all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we've seen, whenever there's a gift, we have a choice. We can accept it or we can reject it. And the greatest gift, the most important gift of all, is the one that God has already given to us through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, who rose again. And so I just plead with you here today, if you're here and there hasn't yet been that moment, that point in time where, yes, you have accepted that gift, the Bible says... Uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call upon him, acknowledging your sin, acknowledging that you, even you, need a Savior, and that if you'll recognize that you are a sinner and you ask him to save you and forgive you, you ask him to be Lord of your life, the Bible says you shall be saved. And so that's the gift that God is offering, and I pray that it's your decision that you will accept that gift today. I'll be standing here at the front, and we want to invite you to, to come. Once the service is over, we'll close in just a moment. When we do, I'll be standing here just ready to meet and pray with any of you for as long as is necessary. But if you're here today and you need to take that step, come let me know, and we'll pray together. We'll rejoice together. Or if you just have more questions about following Christ, uh, I can say, set up an appointment with you, and we'll talk about that. that we would love that. Uh, for those of you watching online, I want to remind you as well, this is for you too. Please send us that text message uh, to that number on the screen. And in just a few minutes at the end of the service is when they go out, you'll get the text message. Click on the link. And when you do, it's our online connection card. So fill it out. You can check, click on, on, on certain things if you want more information uh, and let us know. And we'd love to be able to help you and, and rejoice with you as well. Let us know how we can pray for you. That's a great way to do that by sending a text message to that number on the screen. Those of you in this room, remember we got the, the connection cards also beneath the pews. You can fill one of those out and drop them off uh, in the offering boxes before we go.